What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Sound Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, September 27th. We're back on a Tuesday. This is this is pretty exciting. Only two days after NFL football Sunday and only three days after college football Saturday. And we had a, we have a lot to go over today, Matt. We've got we've got three topics of NFL and three topics of college football. All of them are very juicy. I have to say this. This might be one of our best episodes that we've done in a couple of weeks, I'd say. So, yeah, really, really excited to get into it. That's not to say, though, that you shouldn't go listen to our other episodes if you haven't checked us out already. Definitely just go peruse and browse through the rest of our episodes and, and see what you like. And I hope you like us because uh, that's that's what we're here for. But we're also here to give you all the information we can and all of the hot takes and opinions that we've got brewing up in our minds. And we're really excited to do that again today. I've got Matt on the other end of the line here. Matt, how are you? I'm good. And I, I agree with Hayden's synopsis of our synopsis of the week of football. How about that? Huh? Uh, which was overall not not a super exciting week of football. We had some updates in college football. Uh, we had a you know some interesting storylines, I guess, with the NFL, but nothing you know nothing crazy. There wasn't there wasn't a game you know or a couple games, I guess, like last week where you had basically three games in which there was history made based on the comebacks that you know that happened. And so, kind of a reminder that not every week in football is going to be like that where you have essentially you know three 20 point comebacks all in the second half all by the team that was the underdog in the game um so yeah so i think week two was was really great with all of what we got week three was a little bit more of a uh you know a humbling as it as it pertains to the excitement level of some of these games and kind of everything that transpired but still we got a lot to talk about so i love it all righty. Well, without further ado, let's get right into the NFL. So the Dolphins are getting a lot of hype, and there's a pretty good reason why. They just beat the Bills this past Sunday, 19-17, to 17, I believe it was. You guys probably saw the, that video of, um, I, f- I don't know, I forget his his name, but the offensive coordinator for the Bills right after the game. Ken Dorsey. Out, who? Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey. Right after time ran out, you saw the camera cut to the offensive coordinator, or offensive coach's booth, I guess, if you if you will. And Ken Dorsey was just throwing papers, going crazy, stood up, started slamming the table, everything like that. That that shows a lot of frustration. And that that and you guys saw that Josh Allen as well on the field right after the game. I think he like threw his helmet down or something like that. Probably said a few unpleasant words. So in general, that Bills offense was was not happy at all with their performance and we will get to that in this topic but let's start out with the Dolphins they're getting a lot of hype but while some of this is is deserved we might need to pump the brakes a little bit let's take a deeper look at the teams that they've played and when they've played them to determine if we're sold through three weeks on their success also let's then follow this up with some Bills talk including a major flaw on offense that they had and them having a defense that just can't seem to stay healthy. They just, they're always getting hurt. And obviously injuries are, are proved to be the downfall of many teams in the NFL just in general. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt here to talk to, to talk about the, the dolphins first and give some takes on them and the bills and why he thinks that the game went the way that it did on Sunday. 
Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins have looked really good, and it's a credit to Mike McDaniel, who's a first-year head coach, who has led this team to a 3-0 start against some, you know, better competition in the NFL. And and the way that, you know, Tua has looked not really that great in the past few years, and, and he's looking good to start this year, and their defense after kind of Brian Flores put that whole thing together, and they've looked and they looked really solid in the past couple of years, the offense couldn't really make up for the difference. Now we see that defense solidifying itself and, and being able to perform alongside of the offense, which is seeing success both in the running game and obviously the passing game, as we've as we've seen, you know, Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle are, are, are great weapons to have for any quarterback in any offense in the NFL. But I don't know. I'm thinking like, you know, it, be, people are making wild accusations about what this team is capable of and, and the and the possibilities for how it can continue to succeed and, 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 you know, win a lot of games. And, and I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I am personally not sold yet. And I think kind of why I wanted to talk about this uh, specifically is, is the fact that obviously, right. We're only three weeks in the season and that can be a caveat for every single thing that we're going to talk about every single time. We have three topics in the NFL, three topics on college football. That could be a caveat for every single one of them. Okay. But the point is we're talking about it to have fun and, and to just throw some ideas out there. Okay. So Let's take a deeper look at the teams that the Dolphins played. Week one, it was against the Patriots. It was a division game. It was in Miami. And the Patriots clearly, I mean, stacking up the rosters, you can tell the Patriots are not as good as the Dolphins. Okay, so you expect the Dolphins to win that game. And they do. And it was 20-7, to 7, I think. And, and they had a defensive touchdown. And they had a, you know, kind of a fourth down touchdown, I think, to Jalen Waddle's a fourth down, fourth down play. So, like, that's both their touchdowns in that game. Okay, well, you know, but hey, they still won the, the, the game convincingly, and, and so fine, you know, give them for that. Last week, the Ravens game, obviously probably one of the best games that we've seen in a very long time, where they're down 21 points in the fourth quarter, and they come back to win the game outright. Insane comeback. But to what extent is that whole deal – the Ravens basically collapsing and, and kind of giving up because they had a 21 point. Well, they had 20, I think 20, I think they're up at 21 points at halftime. And then also 21 points entering the fourth quarter. Any, any team is going to be like, okay, cool. Well, well, you know, Lamar Jackson had a 79 yard rushing touchdown. Like that's all you need to know about that game. Right. I mean, he was, he was going off and, and then the dolphins come back and, and yes, Credit them for making the comeback and credit Tua for all the stats that he composed. And, and, and he broke all those Dolphins records. And you look at Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, who, you know, they've assembled this kind of, you know, super team of, of, of superhero wide receivers. So they did it right. So that's, that's the thing too, which I, I, I don't like when people kind of just assume like, Oh, well it's the Ravens. The Ravens are good. They were up by a lot of points. You don't, you, you basically discount the Dolphins loss or the Dolphins win there. I'm not discounting the Dolphins win. I think I'm more so kind of just focusing on the fact that, you know, it, it's, it didn't, it didn't feel like they deserved to win the game, which I think is probably fair to say it, it felt like they got really outplayed to begin the game and then kind of just stuff fell their way more. So the, the, the defensive backs of the Ravens fell up in coverage and left everybody else and the Dolphins wide receivers behind them. And for like basically four drives in a row, which ended in, you know, in long touchdown passes. So that's the Ravens game. Okay. Now we have this week and it's the bills. And I, again, I actually, I promise this week, I'm going to get a betting lock of the week out because this was going to be my betting lock. It was the Dolphins. They were catching five and a half points. It's a weird line. You're thinking, dude, the Bills have beaten their opponents combined like 72 to three, and they're going to crush the Dolphins because as much as the Dolphins had a great win last week, 
that's a lot of a reason for them to be like, you know what? We had our Super Bowl win, the best win, you know, best come from behind victory, like 20 years. And they kind of lay down in this spot and the Bills win the game. But you can see this coming. All right. The Bills, A, after going all out in the first two games, are basically, I mean, most of their defense is injured at this point. I mean, Ed Oliver didn't play. He's one of the best defensive linemen. I think, um, I forget the guy's first name, but Phillips. Uh, I don't know if Hayden, if you know the guy I'm talking about, Jordan Jaylen Phillips. Phillips yeah, know. something like that. Um, he was out, and he was like making every single play in the in the Bills' first game against the Rams. Jordan Poyer was out. Micah Hyde out for the season. Tre'Davious White hasn't even played this season yet. Uh, and then their their other cornerback, Dane Jackson, he got hurt in the Monday night game against the Titans, and you know he's out for for a little while too. So it's like. Basically, three out of their four defensive backs are out. They're two, two of their best defensive linemen are out. You can't expect them to, especially against an offense of Miami that is improving and looking good this year, you can't expect the Bills to be able to defend them that well. And holding the Dolphins to 21 points, I think is, is pretty, honestly, a win for the, for the Bills on the defensive end. On the offensive end, we only saw them score 19 points, and two of those were uh, courtesy of the butt punt, which is which is what people are calling it. So 17 offensive points, and you got two touchdowns out of it. And then you're kind of thinking, okay, well, you know, wh- wh- what was what was what we saw, or where was what we saw in the first two games in this game against Miami? I just think that if you right, it just is a classic spot where like the Bills have looked so good in the first two weeks. And they have half their defensive starters out and they're going down to the heat in Miami. It was like 95 degrees or something. So, you know, they got a a, in divisional road trip. It's one of those classic spots where you don't really expect the bills to perform well. And so after all that said, again, I'm not making excuses as to why the dolphins shouldn't be considered, you know, one of the, one of the better teams in the NFL. I just think that we can't be anointing them as, as, you know, they're the best team in the NFL because they're three and oh, when the, that three and O isn't really, I think, well deserved to this point. And again, it's three games. Okay, there's a lot more to the NFL season that we that we have left. So I think that's kind of the overall point that I'm trying to make here is that they might lose a couple games. All right, now their schedule is actually pretty easy. I mean, later in the season, I think they play like the Giants and the Bears and the Texans, and they play some really, you know, some 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 of the more bottom teams in the NFL. So they actually might accrue a pretty good regular season record. And by the end of the season, if we're thinking we're looking at the Dolphins and they're you know 11 and six, 12 and five, that's a great season, right? And they're going to the playoffs. So hey, it could it could be real. This could be legit. But I think right now I'm kind of just looking at the the situations that they were in, especially against two of the better teams in the NFL and the Ravens and the Bills and kind of just kind of just getting lucky, I think, is 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 what I I guess I'm kind of summarizing it as, which it's not it's not 100 percent the greatest analysis that you've ever heard. But at least this is kind of why I think we need to back up a little bit of our overhyping of the Dolphins so far. If they can continue it, that's great. But so far. They've looked good and they've beaten the teams on their schedule. That's really all you can ask them to do. Uh, so, Hayden, what do you think about the Dolphins? Yeah, I think a lot of what you said is true. The whole lucky thing, we're probably on the same wavelength there. I do think that their running game has improved a lot. They Last year, I don't know if you guys remember, but last year their running game was just it, – it, it was just atrocious because they had so many guys in the backfield. You just couldn't really – you couldn't really find one player that – was a solid running back there. And so this year they picked up both Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds. And those are kind of the two feature backs now in that offense. And they're, they're, they're pretty good. They're probably like more like a running back by committee type deal. I think that Chase Edmonds probably gets 
more of the goal line carries. I know he got two touchdowns yesterday, which if you have him in fantasy, then that's that's pretty good for you. Actually, somebody in one of my leagues proposed a trade to me, and Chase Edmonds Edmonds was a part of it, and it was for Kyle Pitts, and it was like a tight end plus Chase Edmonds for Kyle Pitts, and I can't remember who the tight end was, but I was like, dude, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to basically buy low and sell high on Chase Edmonds because Chase Edmonds, I think he's he, he's actually within the top. I think 12 running backs in fantasy so far. So he's, uh, he's, he's doing really well. He kind of flopped in Arizona last year. So I think the, the addition of Chase Edmonds and Raheem Moser to that offense is definitely taking a lot of the pressure off of Tua's shoulders. And if you think about it, I mean, Raheem Moser is one of those guys that gets hurt a lot. Like he, I mean, in San Francisco, he was one of those, they, they've just always had running backs in San Francisco for the past three, four years that just get hurt constantly constantly that's why they had to start using honestly i think that's why debo samuel started lining up in the backfield is because obviously he's he's a very good player and he can play many positions on the field and he's super strong and he looks like a running back that's lined up at wide receiver but i think that some of the first times that he ever lined up in the backfield and took handoffs from the quarterback was when all of the San Francisco running backs were hurt and they had to either use their third string running back or Debo Samuel. And so they were like, okay, well let's give it to one of our best playmakers and let him do all the work. Right. So I think that's actually what gave rise to Debo Samuel playing the actual position of running back in San Francisco, rather than just like doing a little jet sweep, but we're talking about the dolphins here. Right. I think the yeah, running game the is, dolphins. is yes. I think their running game nonetheless is, um, is definitely adding a huge part to their team. We saw against the Ravens, the, the Dolphins had 400-something passing yards and Tua had six TDs and everything like that. Again, that's just part of their – that's part of the speed that they have on their offense. I've said it before, that comeback win, like Matt said, things kind of just fell their way. And when teams in the NFL any, – any team in any sports league, doesn't matter what sport, I think if you get conservative and you kind of fall back on your game plan a little bit, compared to how you've been playing that game, you're always going to – you're always going to have some kind of fault – towards the end of end of a game it almost happened in our uh, in my intramural football game yesterday at college okay we uh we got it's, a little... it's like the nfl 2.0 exactly we were out there we we got a little conservative it was we were up 20 to 6 and they ended up coming back and we only beat them by one they scored two touchdowns in a row on us uh we made they, they made it 20 to 19 but we ended up winning so you know we're three oh no three and oh on the season i'm i know you're proud of me matt but uh but right the dolphins i think that they have had a lot of things fall their way and Right. That's not to discredit what they've done. It's just that I don't know if we, yeah, Matt's right. But I don't know if we should really be praising them as much as people are so far this season, even though there's a lot of good teams that have lost to this point this season. A lot of teams that we thought would be undoubtedly three, no, like the bills, like the Rams. I mean, I guess the bills and the Rams played each other first week, so that couldn't happen, but Right. There's there's been a lot of things that have happened so far this season that we wouldn't expect. And, and the Dolphins being three and three and oh is one of them in terms of the Bills. I don't really have much to say about that. Matt kind of covered everything. I think that their defense being so decimated by injuries like this is probably one of the worst cases of an injured defense that we've seen in a long time. And you see what it does to a team. But again, like Matt said, they still made that that game very close against the Dolphins offense that we have seen can take control of a game and just score play after play after play. So big kudos to them. If they had their, their healthy defense, that game, they had their full defense full of stars. I guarantee you they win that game. You know, Josh Allen and the offensive coordinator are probably just frustrated because their defense couldn't really 
stay off the field, I guess, is is what I'm trying to say. Or get off. Yeah, they couldn't really get off the field. And they couldn't really give the offense a chance. So, you know, not much a not much of a testament to to how they'll do. It's just when they when they'll get those guys back is kind of what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and I think too the biggest thing that I noticed for the Bills, and and it's pretty obvious even in the first two games they played as well, is their running game, which is non-existent completely, and that hurts a team when you are, especially you know expected to be the best team in the league and and be the favorites to win the Super Bowl. You have to run the ball to, in 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 football, right? It's fun to pass. It looks stylish. It, you know, it, it's big plays. It's excitement. It's lots of points. That's fine when your defense is also playing well and half the team is not hurt. And also when you already had that momentum of, you know, right, the case, Stefan Diggs is be running wide open down the middle of the field every time, then sure, you know, you, you can you can run up those points. But in times when the coverage is a little bit tighter and you're trying to pass the ball all the time, sometimes it doesn't work, right? Sometimes you have to get the running game started up a little bit. And so in that case, that kind of lends me to believe a little bit that we're relying on Josh Allen too much. I think that's kind of what I took away from this game on the part of the bills, because two, he's a big part of the running game. Right. And so if he always has the ball in his hands and he's always running and he's always passing. And I, I think there's a stat um, that I, that I've read this morning. I think it's like if in games that Josh Allen's thrown 43 passes or more, 45 passes or more or something like that, the bills are one and eight in those games, um, which is a pretty, it's yeah, it's a pretty crazy stat because you think, okay, well, you know, in every game that Josh Allen passes for 400 yards and five touchdowns, like, they win by 25, right? But it it really does kind of prove that he's efficient when he passes for those, for those, you know, for that that large of a stat line because he's able to, you know, you're able to get guys running down the field and 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 wide open when the defense doesn't know that it's coming or or can at least not expect that it's going to be the same thing every single play. And so I think that's the running game is really what we're looking at with the Bills here. Uh, and hopefully they're kind of able to to, you know collect themselves a little bit and, and, and get on. But again, I think too, right. This is just a good game against two quality divisional opponents, right? We always say divisional games are, are always the craziest. You never know what's going to happen in them. Sometimes they're blowouts. A lot of times they're really close and way closer than you'd even think. So that could also be kind of the thing here is just, it was, you know, right. These teams are used to playing each other. They're going to play each other again this season. We'll see what happens in the rematch. Uh, But for right now, Dolphins might be hyped up a little too much. And the Bills also have, have a couple, you know, a couple things that they might need to worry about here. So scoring across the league is down, right? And, and perfect examples, the Bills and the Bills and the and the Dolphins game. I think the total on the game, I think, you know, in, in terms of betting the over-under, I think it was 52, um, might have even gone up to like 54 or something like that. And there was what, 40 points scored in the game, and two of those came on a butt punt. So, you know, less than 40 points in a game that you're expecting to have almost three touchdowns more than that. But, and and we saw other games, like, you know, right, the, the Chiefs and the and the Colts, right? I mean, obviously, you know, the Chiefs got beaten by the Colts, and but there's 37 total points in that game. You'd expect that with the running game of the Colts and then obviously Patrick Mahomes and that, that Chiefs offense, you'd expect more points. And then the Sunday night game is just a, an icing on the cake and a cherry on top with extra sprinkles delight because 11 to 10, what are we doing, people? The Sunday night games and the primetime games in general are always low scoring, but I'm like, oh my God, dude. Now, I didn't expect much else because the 49ers are a defensive team and they don't they're not explosive and they don't really pass that much down the field and they they're efficient with their offense and the Broncos clearly to this point in the season look like they like break the huddle and then they're like okay so uh do we run forward who knows what's going on with them right but like yeah so we kind of expect a lower scoring game but I mean 21 total points like 
and not even three touchdowns. There's, I mean, it was seven to five midway through the third quarter. We come on. So anyway, scoring is down. That's the point of the next topic. And despite an offseason rules change that everybody thought would only lead to more scoring. And this is kind of something that, you know, it's a little bit, it was kind of thrown in there right, right kind of before the season. It's essentially an extension to the illegal contact rule. So I don't know how long ago the illegal contact rule came into play. It's essentially that, uh, as a as a cornerback, as a defensive back, and you know when there's a, it's a pass play and the receiver is getting off the line, you're able to jam the receiver, right? Kind of put your hands on him, and and that kind of allows you some some you know some leeway in terms of getting to you know maybe get getting the guy's head a little bit, get get him off the line, and and hopefully kind of make a play on the ball eventually down the road, and and you know at the end of that play. But after that initial kind of jamming, you can't touch the receiver at all because what happened is basically, you know, receivers weren't able to run their routes and it was getting all messed up with the offense and stuff. Again, another another thing to make, you know, a defensive back's life more impossible to, to you know, to play uh, during the games because they just keep getting penalties caught on them. So that was illegal contact, right? And they essentially over the offseason, they extended that illegal contact rule to now if the if the quarterback is in the pocket, the five yard kind of you know, the five yard structure there kind of, you know, strict level off is basically out the window. If the quarterback is in the pocket, no matter where the receiver is anywhere in the field, if you kind of have that, you know, jamming or, or pushing or shoving that, you know, gets the receiver off there out a little bit, the refs are going to throw a flag and, and, and call legal contact on it. And I think that's like an automatic first down thing. So in third downs and fourth downs, like, you know, a whole, a whole drive can be saved uh, by, by this penalty. And so a lot of people thought, Hey, this is going to only cause more scoring in the league. And we're just going to see more offensive firepower and, and, you know, you know, higher scoring games overall. And we're actually seeing the opposite now, just in general, as a caveat, we, we were not going to, solely assess that this one extension of a penalty is going to result in a higher scoring lead, but that's what we've been seeing a lot, right? Offense is everything now. And, and, you know, the scoring is, is up in general and the, the offensive players and everything, everybody stars, but like I said, we're seeing the opposite. There's a lot of lower scoring games this year, I think. And even, I mean, talking about the betting, the over-unders, I think if you like, if you would bet every, like the, every game so far on the under, you, I, I, I don't know the record, but I think, I think it's like 30 and 16 or something like that like you'd, you'd basically be winning like doubling your money by this point uh so the question is here and and Hayden I'll let you kind of take this over here will the scoring increase league-wide right in the next month or two or, or you know as soon as maybe in the next couple of weeks uh or are these low scores a trend that'll just continue well I first want to point out before I get into the implications on the NFL and the the whole league in general I do want to point out that I'm reading this is off of CBS Sports. So Matt Matt explained it pretty well, the whole extension of the illegal contact penalty that the NFL is instating this season. But I do want to point out that this is this is a very key part of the article that CBS Sports wrote on August 8th of this year. So this is a very recent article as well. It says, while incidental contact between, or sorry, while incidental contact beyond five yards of the line of scrimmage is allowed, a defender may use his hands only to defend or protect himself against impending contact caused by the, by the receiver. So they're basically saying the receiver can make contact, the receiver can initiate contact with his hands, but yet the defender now basically can't use his hands at all unless the quarterback kind of rolls out or is it's outside of the pocket and the, therefore the play is kind of astray at that point. Now this and this kind of also goes hand in hand with the whole intentional grounding penalty. So if you know intentional grounding if you're if the quarterback is outside of the pocket he can throw it out of bounds 
as long as it passes the line of scrimmage, he can throw it basically anywhere and it won't be called intentional grounding. If he stays, if he's inside the pocket, even if it, even if the ball is thrown past the line of scrimmage, if it's thrown out of bounds on purpose and it's just like, you know, he throws it into the stands, that's an intentional grounding. The pocket is, is, is a really key indicator of whether or not an intentional grounding penalty is called. Now the pocket is also a key indicator of whether or not this illegal contact penalty is called on DBs, which again, that's, that's kind of a, a huge thing to note there. Now in terms of how I think this will affect the rest of the season and scoring, I don't know that it'll affect much. I mean, you this is really only one part of the game of football that, that we're talking about, and that's passing, right? You've got running the ball and you've got special teams as well, which not a lot of scoring comes off of special teams, but that's still part of the game, right? So in terms of offense, you've got a whole different part of the game that basically won't be affected at all. I guess I guess you could say that like DBs will be scared of making contact. Even when it's a run play, DBs will be scared of making contact with the receiver first. And so the receivers will get a better push off their blocks initially. That could come into play with, with how defenses react to the run game. But I, I think that DBs in general, like when there's, I mean, they're expecting pass they They kind of DBs are there to protect the pass and pretty much the pass only like they're, you know, there's a front seven for a reason because that protects the run, but DBs sometimes do make tackles on the outside in the run game. So, right. I guess you could, you could say that, okay, well, they're going to be a little bit more timid even in the running game. And that could, that could cause receivers to be able to get, a better push off the line, but I don't really think that that's going to cause so much of a difference. And I like, I like that Matt kind of made this distinction and, and linked it with the low scoring games that we've seen so far in the NFL, but there also have been some high scoring games, right? We saw the the Ravens and the Dolphins last week, this week, the Ravens and the Patriots were pretty high scoring. I mean, I think you had, I think 60 points in that game, 60 plus points in that scored in that game. So We've seen some high-scoring games, and the Ravens have been have been a part of a lot of them, honestly. I mean, I just gave two examples, and they were part of both of them. So, applause to them. But, yeah, I don't think that it will really say much for the rest of the season. I think that we'll probably see more scoring down the road because the beginning of the season is always kind of rusty. You know, you've got offense. Offense is one of those things where it's like it's not as reactionary as defense. You know, re- defense – you go out there and you kind of see what the offense is doing. Okay. We watched film. We see these formations. Are they running these formations? If not, let's switch to a different defensive, a different defensive scheme, right? That's kind of what the basic defensive coordinator job is to see is like, okay, well, what are they running? What do we know that they're running? What have we prepared for in this week of practice? And then let's react based on what they're running. Offense is more of an attack mindset where like you run the plays if a defense lines up in a way that you think is going to stop your play the, the quarterback can make an audible but it's kind of just like okay well oh well let's run this play and see if it works right that's I mean that's more of what offense and defense is in football in general and so I think that the fact that offenses and their schemes have been a little bit lackluster this this season so far that'll probably become more cohesive I guess that'll probably become better as the season goes on just because teams tend to perfect their craft better as the season goes on all right so the Eagles now are the second point of contact and and you see in the title that we're talking about the Dolphins and Eagles because they're at this point the only three and O teams in the league now do they really have wins over quality teams is, is the question that I'm going to be asking Hayden now so the Eagles are showing that they're the real deal but are they 
Um, Hayden said that, you know, in, in the beginning of the season, he was very high on the Eagles. I kind of agreed, you know, they'll probably win the division. Are they good enough to go further than that? I don't really know. Um, but, you know, now that they're 3-0 and and they look like a great team, let's play a little bit of devil's advocate, right? So the Eagles are indeed 3-0, but they've beaten the Lions by three. They beat the Vikings in a primetime game, and we know Kirk Cousins' amazing record in primetime games, which is actually the worst in NFL history. <laughs> and then the Commanders yesterday, uh, who are horrible in, in just about every game situation except for the last seven minutes of the game when they decide that they want to be uh, the Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs and they score four touchdowns in 20 minutes, or two minutes, really. So now that we've kind of gotten a big picture look at what the Eagles have done so far in their games and who they've played and kind of their schedule and everything – once the cakewalk and then this kind of easy schedule comes to an end, will the Eagles really be so good after all? Well, I'm going to keep this one a little bit short because I, I want to see what Matt has to say on this topic. But I will say that this is this is kind of the same situation that we're running to running into with the Eagles as we did with the Dolphins. Right. We're, we're looking at the Dolphins. We're like, OK, well, the, the way that their games have gone, they've played tough opponents. But the way the, the way that their opponents have shown up and the way that their games have gone has been a little bit not a little bit, has been a lot of it in their favor. Now, I think that just objectively, the Eagles' schedule has been very easy, right? The Lions are better than we thought they would be this season. Their offense has shown some of the best scoring prowess that we've seen this season. The Vikings in primetime, they always suck in primetime. Like Matt said, Kirk Cousins just can't get it done in primetime. Darius Slay, the number one Eagles corner, he locked up Justin Jefferson for most of the game. I think Justin Jefferson had like maybe – two catches that game or something like that and not a lot of targets either. And so he was, he was doing a really good job locking up Justin Jefferson. And if Kirk Cousins doesn't have Justin Jefferson, that offense is really just Dalvin cook, if we're being honest. And then their defense just isn't that good either. And I think they won that game, what, 24 to seven. So that was a pretty, that was a pretty handled win there. And then yeah, against the, the commanders, I mean, the commanders so far, they're proving that they are one of the worst teams. I mean, watching their offense actually makes me want to stick forks, forks in my eyes because I, ca- I can't just – every single time I watch a part of their game, whether it's on NFL Red Zone or if I'm at a sports bar with my buddies and watching the game, watching 15 different games at once in the 1 o'clock window, if, whenever I look over at the commander's game and the commanders are on offense, Carson Wentz is getting sacked. It's it's just unbelievable. Like, I, I haven't been able to get that – image out of my head the whole season so far and so right the Eagles defense is good and they right there's a reason why they're sacking Carson Wentz but I think that pretty much every team is sacking Carson Wentz he's probably the second most sacked player behind Joe Joe Burrow this year I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually true I'm just making that assumption but maybe Matt can fact check me on that but right I think to this point, the Eagles, uh, everybody's praising Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith had a huge game against the Commanders yesterday. I mean, Sunday. And right, that's that's all true. But we haven't really seen them play a really, really good team like the Dolphins have in the Bills. Now, again, the Bills defense was really beat up, but we have we just haven't really seen the Eagles play a very complete team. It's either a team that has 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 a really good offense and their defense is pretty lackluster and injury prone. Or we see a team that just sucks in primetime games, and so they just got the, the right team at the right time. Or we've seen them go up against the commander's team, which is which is one of the worst in the NFL right now. So I think that maybe the Eagles, we shouldn't be so high on them. I think it's kind of like the Dolphins. Let's see how it plays out. But again, that is not to say that I am much higher on the Eagles than I am on the Dolphins. So. 
it's just tough to break this team down in a in a very analytical way. And I actually just did some quick math. Like as soon as while Hayden was given that, you know, given that uh, amazing speech there, um, I added up the Eagles points and kind of how their point system breaks down. They've scored 86 total points this season. 65 of their 86 points have been scored in the second quarter of all their games. Weird, right? They scored 17 points in the fourth. No, they scored 24 points in the second quarter against the Lions. They scored 24 points in the second quarter against the Commanders. And they scored 17 points in the second quarter against the Vikings. Like, I don't know if that's good or bad. I guess it's probably good because they're coming out and they're actually, you know, they're they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're, They're getting after it and they're hitting people and they're scoring touchdowns. And so I think that's probably why I'm going to assess the Eagles as, you know, this being a positive. I think that, right, and Hayden kind of mentioned it, like, you know, with the Lions, they were up by, I think, 20 points at one point, and the Lions just got garbage time touchdowns, which is what the Lions do all the time. And then the Vikings, again, basically, right, they were boat racing the Vikings, and, you know, by halfway through the second quarter, and there was actually, there was zero points scored in the second half of this game, in case you remember that Monday night game, and it was like, Everybody, it was so funny too because the I think you know the the like over under was you know forty two or something. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna you know whatever? And then there's literally zero points scored uh, in the in the whole second half. So we had yesterday against the Commanders, they scored twenty four points in the second quarter. They're up twenty four two heading into halftime. There's not much that you need to do after that, okay? Especially against these teams who haven't been able to then score on them in the second half. That's my thing here it, with the Eagles is like. If they're up, if they're scoring, you know, 30 points every every time in the second quarter, and then they let everybody come back on them and it's like makes it into a close game and they when they can't score when they need to score, that's a different story. The fact of the matter is the Eagles have gone up big, kind of put their foot on the brake a little bit, but their defense has continued to have their foot on the gas and they just don't allow the other team to score as as it has happened so far. And again, Hayden, it was also astute in pointing out that it's, I mean. The Lions offense, which who really knows, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's horrible. The Vikings offense, which is almost even more so sometimes good, sometimes horrible uh, than, the, than the Lions is. And the Commanders, which I think, you know, Hayden summed that up well by saying that he wants to stick forks in his eyes when he watches them. So that's kind of what we have here against the, the teams the Eagles have played. And that's the point that Hayden's making to begin with is it's a little bit of a cakewalk schedule so far. The Lions and the Commanders are, are two of the worst teams in the NFL. Although the Lions, I don't know. I think they're they're kind of changing some minds out here a little bit. Uh, and that was still a close game. But the Eagles put up 38 on them, you know? So it's like one of those things where, okay, the decent team that they've played, they still, you know, they still scored a lot of points. And again, like I said, I think they were up by 20 in the second half of that game. So I've really liked what I've seen from the Eagles. And, and so really what we need to kind of focus on is like, in a game where they need to score points in the second half, are they going to be able to? Because they haven't had to the last two weeks and they haven't let the other team back in the game. So that all checks out to me. If the other team starts to come back, though, will the Eagles be able to continue to to, to put scores and, and, and points up on the board? I think so. I think that the way they run the ball, um, obviously Jalen Hurts is, is looking like the franchise quarterback that they didn't know that they had because he was essentially just the free pick from the 49ers you know, three years ago from, from that Trey Lance trade. And and they thought that he was just going to be kind of an interim thing. And then they were going to, you know, have use another first round pick on another guy and he's turning out to be the guy. So it's, it's a great story for kind of how he and Hayden has, has uh, talked a lot about how Jalen Hurts is a pretty, you know, he's, he's a pretty admirable guy in, in just in terms of everything that he's been through in his football career. Uh, and so it's, it's definitely great to see something like this and this level of success uh, happening to a guy who deserves it. So um, yeah, I, again, I think it's, 
it's a little tough to dissect what the Eagles have done and how we can kind of attribute their, you know, their rampant scoring in the second quarter where they're just, you know, again, just kind of consistently putting points up on the board. And so if you don't have to, then that's fine. Don't do it. Uh, but in a time that you do have to score in the second half and, you know, a game gets close, you know, are, are they going to be able to do it? I think that's what we have to kind of see them uh, prove in order to kind of really think that, you know, they, they, they could really be one of the best teams in the NFL this year. So now let's go on to college football. Miami and Texas, okay? They're two of the most, most storied programs in the history of college football. They, I mean, 20 years ago, Miami was had basically every first round NFL pick um, imaginable. A lot of those guys have already retired. So, but it's just imagine like, you know, Alabama of 20 years ago was Miami and Texas was essentially the same deal. And, and so, you know, these teams are, are just the tradition and the culture and everything behind these teams and these programs and these schools are so big, right? The brands are huge. Everybody knows that big U for the Miami logo. Um, it's literally, the, the the university is called the U. Like, I mean, are you kidding me? Every, the, the word that we use to associate with a college is a university and the U is basically Miami, right? Like, you, you've you've taken over one letter of the name that every college is and you've called it yourself and everybody knows it by that. Um, Texas, same thing. It's technically like the University of Texas at Austin, but like it's horns down, it's horns up. It's like, you know, the, the Sikkim horns thing with the, you know, your two fingers, like everybody knows these things, okay? So the brands are huge. The money is even bigger when we talk about the, you know, the boosters behind the programs, just the schools in general who, you know, the, the population of the schools are huge and, and they just get a bunch of money from people that are obviously going to the school, but also the, you know, the athletic programs and everything, they're huge because it's, you know, big schools and, and other sports as well. So, right. So the brands are huge. The money's even bigger, but the expectations of these two programs might be the largest of all. And that's because, like I said, 15, 20 years ago, these teams were everything that college football was. These teams represented college football. But we continue to see these programs lose. And, and the losses only get worse as the expectations get higher. Point in case, this past weekend, lo and behold, both of them lost. Texas lost to Texas Tech. Now, again, that's a, that's a, that's okay, right? Texas Tech is, a, is an okay program, but Texas Tech hasn't done anything in the past, like, ever, basically. Patrick Mahomes went there, but nobody really knew that because they weren't good when he was there, all right? And, and so you kind of have this, like, run of Texas Tech where it's like, well, whatever. So Texas Tech wins uh, in overtime and beats Texas this year, there, the, the, you know, this past week. Miami, which, I mean, this is probably the biggest upset of the, of the whole weekend, they lose by 20 points to Middle Tennessee State University. And they lost at home in Hard Rock Stadium. I mean, come on. So this is where we're at with these programs, okay? And so the question becomes, why can't these programs return to the dynastic tendencies of the 15 or 20 years ago that I talked about? And what happens if they don't? I hate to say it, but I think it is a product of the conferences that they're in. Now, you may you, you may look at this and say, okay, well, are you promoting conference realignment? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of it. I'm not going to come on here in front, all right? I am a pretty big fan of conference realignment. But you also may be saying, okay, well, if they can't even compete in their own conferences or against out-of-conference teams that are just – that are a group of five teams, they – like, conferences – conference doesn't have anything to do with this. I, I get that, but – Think about the times. I mean, I don't really remember anything about the Big 12 back then, but like the ACC 
used to be a very big or pretty a bigger conference than they are now, right? They had Miami, they had Florida State. I don't, I can't, I don't think Clemson was that good back then. I, but like ACC teams were better back when back when Miami was in its glory, right? And then Texas, I don't, again, I don't Big Twelve teams. I mean, I don't really know who was super good back. Then. I mean, I think Oklahoma, Nebraska was right, and like Oklahoma yeah, was pretty right. good. Yeah, all the same teams, more or less the same teams that are that are good now. Yeah, yeah, and so right, but. I mean, pretty much none of those teams are, are good anymore. I mean, Oklahoma's still pretty good, but Lincoln Riley just left and they might be going headed in the direction where they don't really want to be going. And yeah, they just like th- these conferences just aren't as competitive as they used to be. And so I think that as a result, the, the teams that do have a great legacy and the teams that have been so good for so long in the past, they've kind of fallen victim to that and just kind of gotten worse as the conference, as the rest of the conference has gotten worse as well. Clemson is really the only team, only good team in the ACC anymore. And they're not even really that good. I mean, Wake Forest is also a pretty decent team in the ACC, but we don't really even consider them or we haven't considered them for a really long time to be a contender in the ACC. Really just the past couple of years, they've kind of shown up and and shown us, okay, well, we should start considering them, but they haven't really been so, and they, they almost knocked off Clem, number five Clemson this past Saturday, Clemson beat them in double OT. So it's just like all these teams in the ACC and the big 12 and kind of the PAC 12 as well. They're just, we mentioned it about, uh, about the PAC 12 in, in one of our past episodes, like they just beat up on each other and they essentially just give themselves no chance of getting into the college football playoff. While the SEC, you've got, basically two teams from the ICC every year in the college football playoff. And you've got Ohio state or Michigan as the big 10 team. And then it's just any one random team from the PAC 12, the big 12 or the ACC as the fourth team in the, in the college football playoff. Again, last year it was Cincinnati from the AAC, very big anomaly there, but right. I think that the legacies of these teams has just fallen, fallen with the legacy of the big 12 and, and the ACC conferences that have just fallen as the years have gone by and, and right. They're just not really able to attract all of these big names that are coming out of, out of high school football. Cause everybody wants to play in the sec. Cause that's where the NFL looks first. Right. So that's, that's my take on it. I agree with your assessment of the conferences in them not being that good. But my thing with that is like, if your conferences are bad, shouldn't that make your job easier? Like as yeah. these big, yeah. I mean, that that's, that's one of the things that I tried to, bring up like to counteract my point but again if the like if you're not playing really really good competition in your own conference you don't really have a chance to like prove yourself and then when you do when you play easy teams it's just I don't know I I feel like it almost like they they almost like lose a sense of identity in their in their conferences because they right they don't have nobody to play against so I don't know yeah and, and that could be it and also the kind of the comparison of if you're used to playing these easier teams and then you start playing teams that are actually ranked and good and in comparison to the better teams in college football you kind of fall short because you're thinking oh well I'm used to just playing you know these 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 other random teams so so that's my thing is like that that I think is why I can't even are bringing this topic up is like because of the amount of money and success and everything that these programs have had in the past you would think that when their conferences are down it would be their time to shine and it's just not and it hasn't been And to some extent, that's fine, because as, you know, a fan of the underdogs and the smaller guys, especially when it comes to college football, I love it when Miami and Texas are losing like this, because 
you know, Middle Tennessee State deserves to have a victory like this. And, and you know, this is the best win of, of a lot of those kids are ever going to get because, you know, not most of them probably won't end up in the NFL. Like, this is something that they're going to tell their kids about. Like, all that stuff is just makes me so happy. But at the end of the day, it just seems like there's a huge opportunity being missed here by both of these schools. Hayden thinks it's the conference. I'm going to probably go along more of the, the coaching route. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm obviously – College, especially when it comes to college football, coaching is is really all that you can get. And you look at the coaches that have won national championships. Interesting stat, and I think it probably pulled it out a couple a couple times already too. There's only five coaches that are coaching right now in college football who have won a national championship. Only five, and there's 131 teams. Okay, so that just shows you the level of severity that you need to have when it comes to the coach that you're hiring needs to be one of the best because the guys who have done it in the past know how to run a program and they're only going to continue that going forward. And we've seen Texas and Miami basically struggle for, for the last, the better part of the last 15 to 20 years because they just kind of switch coaches every three years. And so whether those coaches are, you know, solid enough or not, we never really get to know because when it gets to the third year and they're not, you know, winning 10 games, they're not good enough, you know, get the coach out of here because they, they didn't win a championship. They didn't win a conference. You know They didn't win their conference or they didn't get to the college football playoff or whatever it may be. But like, that shouldn't be the standard. The standard should be get a good few years of consistent wins, you know, consistently winning and, and, and beating your opponents. And then, you know, after that, okay, let's win the conference after that. Okay. Let's, you know, be in the conversation for one of the best teams in college football to make the college football playoff. But you can't have those types of expectations up front when your guy's in his first year. Okay, so that's my kind of explanation here. And and I think that that's where we're seeing a little bit of a mishap here. And but again, too, if the programs have enough money behind them, this cycle is only going to continue because they're going to be able to throw money at these guys, these new coaches and bring them in. Right. And the old coaches, coaches that they're throwing out the door, they can pay their buyout. They can pay them as much money as they want to because they have the money to be able to do that. And so they automatically think, well, if this guy hasn't produced in two and a half years, get him out of here. We'll just get someone else in here. Right. And it's like, that's not enough time for them to build up a program. So we need to give these guys a little bit of time. I think, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's in his second year with Texas right now. They went five and seven last year. They lost to Kansas when Kansas was not good like they are this year. And, you know, this year they're, they're two and two and they played Alabama tough. But besides that, we'll have to see what they do because if you can't go on the road to Texas tech and get a win, are you even going to make a bowl game and go six and six this year? I think so. Quinn Ewers is also hurt. So that's kind of an excuse on their part, but you know, the Miami thing is, is, is pretty tough too. I mean, they're also two and two now they're lost to Texas A&M now looks a little bit better that Texas A&M got a, got a good win against Arkansas over the weekend, but a home loss to middle Tennessee state. Like you can't, we can't be having that. So it's we're 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 working on it, I think. You know, we're gonna have to kind of see what these programs do in the near future here and what they're able to do kind of when it comes time to actually start producing at the level that they're supposed to when their coaches have been there for a significant enough amount of time to actually get those recruits in, start coaching them up and everything like that. So the next topic is about Kansas State beating Oklahoma. So it was 41 to 34 was the final score. But I think that that's a little bit misleading because I think the Kansas State was up by 14 with like five minutes left and Oklahoma got a garbage time touchdown. But Oklahoma, as we know, right, perennial Big 12 power. They won the Big 12, you know, I think like five last six years or something. They've been in the college football playoff a bunch, uh, you know, had three Heisman quarterbacks in a row, uh, all of that stuff. Right. Oklahoma. So they all but for some reason, they always seem to struggle against K-State. 
And, and this is another, you know, another line in, in that thinking. And it's so funny too, because Lincoln Riley, who's been the coach of, the, of Oklahoma for the last six years, he left to go to USC. Um, Caleb Williams was a quarterback last year. He leaves to go to the US to go to USC as well. The um, I'm trying to think who their offensive coordinator was before, but either way, Brent Venables is a new coach. He used to be the defensive coordinator at Clemson. He brings in Jeff Levy, who was used to be the court offensive coordinator at UCF. So you got a whole new coaching staff. You got Dylan Gabriel, who used to be the co- used to be the quarterback of UCF. Everything is new, right? So we're thinking, all right, finally, we're going to be able to get this Kansas State game. We don't have the same pieces that we had there before. We're going to, you know, they were like 13-point favorites. And at it's, We're at home. You know, we got this. No, it's just more of the same. And weirdly enough, because they have upset games against other teams and, and everything else, and they've looked great this season, just Kansas State, for some reason, always gets them. Uh, and so the real story here, though, is Adrian Martinez, who is the quarterback of Kansas State. He was prior. He was the quarterback of Nebraska for the past, like, one of those guys that seems like he's been in college football for eight years because he just yeah. always is always playing. And and uh, and he was okay at Nebraska, but, you know, Hayden can go in a little bit a little bit deeper about, you know, about, about what he was at Nebraska and how that's sort of, you know, translating to, to, to Kansas state here. And so as such, uh, you know, the dude put up classic Adrian Martinez numbers. He scored four rushing touchdowns. He's just the definition of like a video game quarterback in real life. So Hayden, let's hear it about Adrian Martinez. Yeah. So if you guys didn't really hear about or watch Adrian Martinez when he was at Nebraska, here's a little rundown. Honestly, you can probably go look up on YouTube, something along, along the lines of Adrian Martinez, long rushing touchdown at Nebraska or something like that. And it'll, it'll most likely pop up. I mean, it's probably one of the most famous college football clips of all time, I would say, or it sh- at least should be. He's probably had, yeah, probably one of the best football plays I've ever seen in my life. Okay. So I think it was a 40 something yard touchdown. It was like a 46 yard touchdown, but he ran back before actually running forwards and past the line of scrimmage. He ran back to like his own, 20 yard line, I think. And, but he was on the opposite 40. Like he was in the other team's territory. He runs back to his own 20 yard line or so just dodging defenders and like skipping in and out of, of tackles and everything like that. And he's, I mean, his, his players at this point are like dead on the field, tired basically. So he's just having to do everything himself. The defense is also tired too. So they're basically just diving at his feet, hoping that he's going to get tripped up at some point. But he doesn't, and he ended, he ends up just weaving his way back through to the line of scrimmage. Again, by the time he gets back to the line of scrimmage, it's the play has already gone on for pretty much, I'd say, probably like 10, 15 seconds. And then he finally, once he starts going forward, basically, he just, like, finds a hole because every player on the defense is just, right, they're just exhausted, and so they don't even really go after him. But he, he ends up running this, this touchdown that's just, like, one of the best – spectacles that you'll ever ever see on a football on a college football field or football field in general honestly and right he did that in Nebraska and, and that that's kind of like the definition of who he is as a quarterback he just makes these insane plays running the ball he's also a pretty good passer too but last night I mean not, not last night Saturday night he had four rushing touchdowns I think he had like 150 rushing yards which 150 rushing yards with four touchdowns is actually not as much as you would think but most of his rushing touchdowns were from like the 15 yard line or in inside that so um right very big very big rushing game for him he also had i think 200 something passing yards and one touchdown through the air and so right a very a very um very balanced game there from from adrian martinez i do if i do say so myself but right he is just like he's he's an athletic freak he's super fun to watch like matt said he's not one of the best college football quarterbacks 
he never really has been, but he's just, he just puts on these absolute shows sometimes. And it's just, it's so fun to watch him. Now, the second part of this topic is, is kind of delving into whether or not we think that Oklahoma is kind of doomed from here on out. Is, is Kansas state just Oklahoma's kryptonite or is, was this game on Saturday night, Oklahoma's lost. Was that a sign of more losses to come? Matt, what do you think? As much as it would be smart of me and any football analytic person who looks and cares about the game to say they had defensive troubles and Kansas State was able to move the ball very easily. And so therefore Oklahoma looks like they should be in trouble. I'm not doing I'm not believing it. I'm not I'm not doing it. Kansas State is Oklahoma's kryptonite. Oklahoma's still going to win the Big 12. They're going to be fine. For some reason, they always lose to Kansas State, and it's just it's just going to keep happening. Uh, Kansas State is also not even, I don't think, that great this season. Like, it's not going to be like some crazy, whoa, Kansas State, out of nowhere, they're going to, you know, they're going to win the Big 12. No, they lost to Tulane last week, all right? So it, it, it's, it's not going to happen for Kansas State. It is going to happen for Oklahoma. This game is not any sort of indictment on Oklahoma's season at large. And I think they're still going to be very, uh, you know, very visible. I think this is also going to be one of those examples of a team that has, was on a really big high because again, in their previous game, they beat Nebraska by like 40 points right now, though that was the week after Nebraska fired their coach and everything like that was going on with the program. But Oklahoma had a very convincing win. They scored, they put up like 50 something points, I think. And so you come into this Kansas state game at home and you're a little bit sleepy. You're like, yeah, we got this, no problem. And then Kansas state puts up, you know, puts up a big game and they win the game. I think this is a bounce back opportunity for Oklahoma. I think they said, look, you know what? We got to be focused on all our games from here on out. And I think they win them all. I mean, seriously, it's, it's, you know, it's the big 12 Hayden mentioned it before with, you know, Texas being in the big 12 and then the conference as a whole, and they have good teams there, but and usually they do end up beating up on each other, but Oklahoma usually finds a way out. So I think that that will hopefully be kind of the savings race for this Oklahoma team that despite the loss to their kryptonite, Kansas state, I think that's all it is. And I think this is a good opportunity for them to look at this and say, Hey, we got this for the rest of the season. Yeah. I also want to add a quick thing here before we move on to our last topic of the day, Oklahoma's offense is, is still a very, very good offense in comparison to the rest of the league. I'm actually looking at a, um, an offensive efficiency measurement right now it's called the it's called the from fremo from al efficiency efficiency index so it's the fei index rating of all college football offenses in basically in division one football and we've got georgia at number one they've got the best offense ohio state at number two which that's not very surprising and oklahoma is at number three so if you guys were wondering what this fei rating is it's basically Opponent adjusted possession efficiency data representing the per possession scoring advantage a team would be expected to have on a neutral field against an, an average opponent. So basically taking into account all their, their opponent, like the strength of their opponent is basically putting together numbers that then output a number that gives how many points they would be expected to score more than an, more than their opponent per drive in that game. And so I think that their number is 1.3 ish. Number one, Georgia has 1.84. Ohio State has 1.77. Oklahoma has 1.33 as their OFEI. And Oklahoma is, is the third ranked in terms of OFEI in all of college football. So basically they would be expected to score. Their offense would be expected to score 1.33 more points per drive than their opponents, according to, a neutral field and an average opponent on any given game or any given day. So that's, that's essentially what you're, what you're looking at. Again, it's very hard to understand 
on this podcast when I'm explaining it, when I just looked it up like 10 minutes ago. So if you want to go find out for yourself, just look up what is FEI in college football, because that's exactly what I did. So there you go. And also don't, don't really sleep on the fact that just because Oklahoma is a new coach and a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback and like kind of, you know, it seems like it's a whole, you know, it's a whole change up in the system here. You know, again, it's Oklahoma. They know what to do. They, they got all these players. And, and so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, because just because they lost their coach and their quarterback doesn't mean that they're going to be all of a sudden be, you know, the worst team in the big 12. Um, they always are recruiting the best players and, and really they got an offensive coordinator and a quarterback, which are two of the best in the country who were just playing for another team, but that team in UCF, puts up like 60 points a game regardless. So, you know, what do we expect Oklahoma to do? Pretty much more of the same. So as much as Hayden, you know, really, really intently walked you through that explanation of an EPA, which that's really what we were just looking at. It was EPA expected points added. Uh, Oklahoma's going to be fine. There you go. All right. Moving on to our last topic of the day. We're, we're talking about a little college football playoff already. It's only what week four of, of college football just passed. We're already talking about college football. We're only, I mean, college football playoff. We're only a third of the way through the season here, and we're already doing it. That's uh, that's what that's what we like to do here on the first time run out podcast. Now, Clemson, we talked about them earlier a little bit. They narrowly escaped a fifty-one to forty-six double overtime win at Wake Forest this past weekend. Next up is another top ten team in NC State, which that's going to be in Death Valley. That's going to be a great game. I actually talked about that game being one of the most important games of the college football season in general when we did our little college football uh, preview. But after that, Clemson plays virtually nobody for the rest of the season. I mean, they've got – they had Wake Forest and then they, they had an NC State. Basically, their two toughest games of the season back-to-back. And then after that, they play essentially nobody. They're probably going to win all those games. So if we assume that the big three, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, do their job – and win most of their games for the rest of the season, if not all, is it just going to be another year of the same teams in the college football playoff? Or will we see a little bit of variability? I hope we see variability, but I don't think we are going to. Uh, it's a very it's a very easy path here to basically be seeing Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, which are the four teams that have been to the college football playoff the most amount of times, essentially just repeat itself. And Again, as much as we think of Clemson, because I think after Trevor Lawrence left and we had, you know, last year's kind of debacle with the offense looked horrible. DJ Uwe looked really bad. Their defense was really good, but, you know, they're, all their games were low scoring and it seemed like they weren't beating teams as much as they should have been. We're just comparing Clemson to what their all-time high as an enti- as a program in their history of their existence was. So we can't expect that level to continue. I mean, you think about it. They in, in succession. I mean, it's like Oklahoma out here. This is in succession. Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. Those are three of the best quarterbacks in college football history. Okay, so you're going to have a little bit of a step down with anybody that you have step in under that. Here's the thing, though. Last year, everybody's writing them off. Clemson's horrible. They suck. They went 10 and 3. Okay. They went 10 and 3. They got 10 wins, which in for mo- any college program would die to have 10 wins every year. And Clemson still got 10 year, 10 wins in a year where everybody said that they were going to be horrible or that they were horrible. They weren't even looking at the record. They said they're horrible. It's, that's it. But they were still really good. And this year, they're better. And their defense is amazing. And I think that's kind of what's getting lost in the weeds a little bit here is. And we just talked about the ACC for like 20 minutes before the ACC is not good. And Clemson being the best team in the ACC 
while they may not be as good as they were going to be when, you know, Deshaun Watson was winning the college football championship for them, it's okay because they don't really play anybody else in the ACC. And so that's kind of my argument here is if they beat NC State, which again, NC State's really good and I love a good underdog. I don't think NC State's going to be able to beat Clemson because NC State has has looked while good and undefeated, they, they haven't looked great against the teams that they've played in the way that you want them to. I think Clemson's going to be NC State this week, and I don't think Clemson's going to win another or lose another game for the rest of the season. They might have one trip up here or there. But because the, um, the other side of this thing is Wake Forest and NC State are their biggest competition really in the ACC. I, w- I would think that those two are teams are the other two best teams in the ACC, but they're all in the same division. So when it comes to the ACC championship, Clemson's going to be playing someone from the other division, of which it's basically UNC, Miami, or Pitt. And any of those games, Clemson's going to absolutely destroy those teams. So we talked about UNC last week. We talked about Miami this week. And Pitt is basically injured beyond belief. So that's kind of what I'm thinking of here. There is a very real possibility that Clemson goes undefeated this year. Okay. In which case we're talking about them as, oh my God, we're, you know, we're going to see. And if that is the case, and we kind of get what we what we think is going to happen here with them being a representative of the ACC in the in the in the college football playoff, what is going to happen then? Because we've seen them really test Alabama and the rest of the SEC in past years, winning college football play- championships when nobody thought that, that was possible from a small ACC team in South Carolina. Right? They're doing it. They're here. If they do go undefeated, or if they do, you know, they're eleven and one. They look they look dominant and everything like that. When they do go up against these other teams the best teams, you know, kind of the big three, as we mentioned before, is that going to hold its own weight or are they going to kind of get crushed just like the anybody else who would be the fourth member, uh, you know, as Hayden mentioned, some variability. Hopefully there's some variability. But again, like I said, either way, I think the fourth team, whoever that fourth team is, will probably be crushed by whatever the number one seed is of any of the big three uh, that end up being kind of, the, you know, one through three ranked just based on, you know, how the quality of their wins basically. And so that kind of ties together just to kind of end off the podcast here on, on a note about college football and parity within the sport. We see that 15 to 20 years ago, teams like Miami and Texas were the Alabama and Georgia of what we see today. But Time has passed, right? And those teams, despite being the most traditioned and storied and culture and everything, the biggest brands in college football, those teams are still struggling. Those teams are not winning games like we would expect them to do. Whereas we have now the Alabamas and Georgias and Ohio States of the world who have kind of taken over the game. And so as a whole, we always talk about there's no parody in college football. Nobody nobody knew wins all these games. Yes, but over the course of 20, 15 to 20 years, we can see a change, right? We can see that now Miami and Texas can't, for the life of them, win a game against Middle Tennessee State and and, and Texas Tech in Lubbock, right? Like, these things are happening, and, and it may take a little bit, but whatever it ends up being, you know, we, we can at least see some sort of parity over the course of time, and hopefully we get some parity at the end of this season, uh, and that way we can kind of rejoice a little bit to see that, you know, hey, Maybe this is, you know, maybe this is turning around a little bit. And then also hopefully in by, well, I guess two years from now, we'll have a 12 team playoff in which that'll be ultimate craziness and we'll get parried no matter what. So things are looking up. Wow, Matt, that, that, that was pretty beautiful. I'm not going to lie. Like I started getting a little goosebumps when you started giving that last speech about comfortable parody. There we go. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree with Matt. I think that just in general, Clemson, like, yeah, they're gonna get crushed if they make it to the college football playoff. If they're making a game that close against Wake Forest, and we still got to see what they do against NC State. If they lose against NC State, right, 
they won't have a sure road to the college football playoff at all. If they win against them, they most likely will, but we will probably will see them lose because they'll probably be the fourth, the, the four seed. And honestly, in past years, we've, we've usually seen the four seed get blown out by like 20 plus points every, almost every single year. So even that one in four matchup, even though it's, it seems like a pretty close matchup when considering all 131 teams in, in division one football, it's like, that's how good the number one and the number two, and even the number three guys are the number four guy usually just can't really compete with, with the big dogs. And so that might be Clemson's fate at the end of this season. But with that being said, we're ending the podcast here. It was a really good one. I, I think that this one, this one flowed really well. We had a lot of good information in it. I'm really happy with how it turned out. Definitely one of the best one lived up to to its expectations from the beginning, from where I said, this might be one of our best episodes that we've done in a while. And I think it proved to be one of those. So yes, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate you. We hope to see you guys back for our next episode, which will most likely be Thursday, Friday, somewhere in that range. Hopefully we'll probably try to get it out to you guys on Friday because right. It's that would be a pretty quick turnaround if it was Thursday, only two days. So we're going to try to get it out to you guys somewhere in that range, trying to get it out to you guys during the week. We know we had, we had a Saturday, we had a Saturday episode this past weekend. So that was on us, but again, trying to get it out during the week as much as we can. And we just, we got some busy schedules going on. And so you got to bear with us, but that being said, we'll be back with you sometime later this week and we can't wait to do so. See you guys then.